calling Dick Tracy. Come in, Dick Tracy. A podcast is in progress. Hi folks, Parker here, and welcome to Minute 8 of the Dick Tracy Minute Podcast, recounting 1990s comic book movie fantastical experience Dick Tracy, uh, one minute of screen time per episode. My name is Ra- Oh! I got my Tracy stuck in my zipper again! I'm just saying, if I knew Mount Rushmore had those faces carved on it, I would have tried to climb the other side. Um, oh, um, <laughs> so we're back right where we left off with Lips getting arrested from last episode. Now, last time, did we talk about, did we get a good look at the cops last time, Rob? Yeah, we got a very slight sense that something was not all okay with these uh with these police officers you could kind of tell that their features were a little bit more kind of see in the distance yeah they were a little bit at least in in modern hd exactly and here we got a very clear look that these guys are uh prosthetic up the wazoo they are ugly evil looking dudes uh indeed actually now here's the interesting thing so yeah, actually, the first one, the point man of these of these cops comes up. Uh, he says, "Yeah, lips, uh, lips, manless. You're under arrest for owning and, op- and operating a gambling establishment." Lips still has his mouth full of oysters. I think <laughs> I, I've never noticed that before. But he says, "Like, where's your warrant?" And it sounds like he's, he's. It might just be like the the makeup of the lips and everything. But I'm pretty sure he was still slurping those oysters. <laughs> this is the third episode in a row that's mostly uh, oyster centric. But yeah, it's like, where's your warrant? Uh, <laughs> you can kind of yeah, you can see his lips continue to kind of warble around as if there's something in them. <laughs> so I would definitely believe that there's uh, he's mid oyster. It must have been the the Jim Henson uh, animatronics. <laughs> In his prosthetic lips. Yeah, there, there was a team. There was a team of about four technicians, all <laughs> kind of working to get those lips moving at the same time. It's fascinating stuff. Must have been the same guys who did the uh, the Ninja Turtles Christmas special, where they, their teeth keep chattering <laughs> <laughs> between every line. Um, uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine the the Ninja <laughs> Turtles Christmas special, but instead of Donatello, it's just lips manless. <laughs> I'm telling you Ninja Turtle Christmas I don't know any of those songs They're all fucking terrible I don't know Gotta get a gift Gotta get a gift Gotta get a gift for Splinter (laughs) The rap rap He's pointing out Who the the cast members were (laughs) I'm telling you Ralph Macchio was never on Who's the Boss (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah So he asked the guy Like where's your warrant the guy says right here and just kind of un- it's it's kind of a social engineering act like you belong thing. The guy just holds up a folded up piece of nothing paper. It could be a training day situation where Denzel Washington's just using uh the Chinese food menu from his windshield as a bogus arrest warrant to talk his way into places. Yeah. But uh yeah, he just holds up some dubious looking piece of paper, says with full confidence right here, they they start to hustle lips 
uh, away from his table, and you hear somebody. It's it's a shot of eighty eight keys looking concerned yeah. for breathless from a distance. You hear one of the cops go, "You too, breathless." You too, breathless. <laughs> he he goes really low and kind of like you know your 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 sister's awkward brother or something like that. You too, breathless. So me? <laughs> <clears throat> oh, sorry, no, I didn't mean anything. No. I mean, were you in this mood? I don't know. Who's my sister's brother? Uh, <laughs> um, one's sister's brother. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good riddle. Um, but the yeah, the great thing now this this another terrific character actor discovery here even this movie has so many like blink and you miss it like oh it's that guy it's that guy there's a guy who's fully on screen here playing the lead cop with with the horror movie makeup that i you get a good look at him all these years never knew who this was under the makeup until doing the research for this episode okay did you look into this at all i did but i i didn't see anything that there might be something on his list that you're a little bit more familiar with than i um but i didn't yeah like the name jumped at me i'm like where do i know that name this uh the guy playing the lead cop is marshall bell and then I went to his IMDb, and it's, oh, of course, this guy. This guy is one of the great kind of 80s, 90s uh, genre film character actors. Um, he's probably best known for, in Total Recall, uh. he's the leader of the mutants. He's the one that introduces Schwarzenegger to Quato. And uh, now you've seen Total Recall. Do you remember? I have seen Total Recall. This came up last week twice, yeah. and on both occasions I fell asleep. So I'm not uh, I'm not the foremost Total Recall expert that I should be. I won't spoil uh, this guy's introduction to Quato in Total Recall because it's great, and if you haven't seen it, it's it's an absolute must watch. But this guy has a great role in Total Recall. I think that's the thing he's probably best remembered oh. for. Um, I, I have seen this scene, yeah. yeah. I'm looking at it. I'm, yeah, you can do yeah, this scene. Don't worry. Great scene. But uh, he's also, like, he must have been a Verhoeven favorite, right? Because before or after Total Recall, he's in Starship Troopers. He's the crazy general on Planet P, um, whose whole base mm. has been taken over by bugs. And they find him, like, Ironside, I think, like, has to, like, knock some sense into this guy when they find him ranting and raving in the base. That was the first thing I saw him in. But, yeah, oh, and then also, uh, he's Gordy, like, he's Will Wheaton's father, Gordy Lachance's father in Stand By Me. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, This great, totally serious role. I I think you only see him in Gordy's, like, flashbacks and imaginings in the film, but it's like he's Gordy's shell-shocked. Uh, dad who, who like who has never gotten over the death of of Gordy's older brother John Cusack so he's got this great scene in that of just he's if I recall correctly like he's just totally desolate and has like kind of contempt for his younger son so great role there uh, and he's he's been in like a million other things he was a character named Ford Plasco <laughs> on a show called Good versus Evil <laughs> for 22 episodes amazing right to the point there uh, he was Magistrate Claggett on Deadwood, a few episodes there, and he was also uh, he was the gun store owner in a movie called Comic Book Villains, which I'd I never was just heard about of. to point. Yeah. That- have you have you seen this movie? I'd never heard of it before today. It it looks great. The cast is wild. Yeah, I I have seen Comic Book Villains. It's a film from two thousand and two, starring, if I'm not mistaken, Donald Lo- Logue. Yeah, Donald Logue and, uh, and and the great Carrie Elwes. The, the the plot of the movie is that a bunch of uh, comic book kind of nerds that <laughs> uh, they're all kind of like aging aging comic book nerds. So like guys in their thirties and early forties, they discover this huge 
collection of vintage comics in i believe it's like an old woman's house it's one of these kind of like mm-hmm. mythic things you hear about where it's like oh we've discovered all these old like priceless comics like in hard the, drive full of bitcoin yeah in, in this woman's attic or something and the whole movie is is them kind of like squabbling over who gets to own them and and all this and, and like it gets violent and it gets really dark and that sounds great but i i check that i remember it being i remember it being good and it kind of predates the whole kind of fandom craziness we live in now where people are literally like driving each other to death over <laughs> stupid internet stuff you know yeah there were a few movies um, like that in the two because there's that and there's fanboys with like uh breaking into the skywalker ranch and i feel like there are a couple oh, yeah. others that uh yeah there's a neat kind of genre for a while maybe like the, the ne- like the next generation will do some kind of version of that but yeah that's re- i gotta check that one out and uh uh, the only other, yeah, like big, like he's it's he's another one of these guys. He's been in tons of different shows and movies over the years, um, and uh, to this day. But he was also in Twins, <laughs> somewhere oh. in there. I think he was maybe one of the bad guy henchmen uh, type characters. I can't. I've only seen Twins once, but so there's a good chance that he has golfed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's been in two of his movies. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's this guy knows Arnold for sure. Do you... <laughs> He went golfing. Hey, Marshall, I see you in that Dick Tracy. You know, I auditioned for that. They said, no, we don't have enough yellow fabric to fit around your biceps. I bet that's what happens. <laughs> they got to go to the next hole. Danny DeVito's their caddy for some reason on the oh, course. Geez. I'm coming, Arnold. <laughs> Daddy lost a bet with me. Next week, I'm his caddy. <laughs> Who is your caddy? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway so uh so the cops the i'm not sure about the other two cops i couldn't i couldn't find them in the credits this week one of them looks like he's got a a, like prosthetic scar that you could just kind of barely make out on one cheek but uh they hustle lips and breathless out of the club ritz and it's i think right away they've kind of given away that they're not real cops just by the youtube breathless when like why would she i guess an accessory but like they're they're hustling her out and breathless you hear her say, I wasn't gambling, I was singing. Which, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, she she puts on a bit of a kind of like gangster mall voice in this yeah. one little line that you don't really hear in the rest of the movie, which I thought was odd. Yeah, I've always I've always kind of thought that. And she's kind of in the background. Like, yeah, I kind of wonder if it's ADR. But anyway. Um, Very good point. They get them out to the car. They open the door of this car outside. And it's a regular car, not a cop car. I think it's just a regular black uh, car. And they open it, and of course, inside is Flat Top with a gun on lips right away. Ooh. Flat Top, you guys ain't no cops. Hi, your lips. <laughs> oh, like, what I really love What I really love about this scene is you kind of get a bit more of a sense of William Forsythe's performance in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, while he still is over the top, like, it's so much more of an understated, kind of chilling, evil performance than a lot of the other kind of bad guys in this movie. Definitely. And it always, stood out, it always stood out to me a little bit more as a kid, and it made him, like, actually kind of sinister and, and kind of frightening, whereas a lot of the other bad guys are just kind of goofy guys. So I like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Scariest henchman in the film for me. And I don't, I don't know if we've given a physical description of Flat Top on the air. Like, it's, like he's got this big triangular head with a flat top. And he's got red hair that's parted right down the middle. 
uh, like the Gen Z kids are doing these days. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, it's come up before. This character was like half black in the comics and had black hair and, and darker skin. And in the movie, he's he's a full-blown, like pale, freckly ginger with with red hair and this really kind of sinister sneer and his cold blue eyes. And um, yeah, so right away, Lips sees Flattop and is like, oh, shit. They shove him in the car. Flattop's got a gun pressed into his chest immediately. And, uh, yeah, they squeeze Breathless in there, too. They're, like, there's a great kind of green wash on the street in the background. You can only really see it through the window behind mm. Flattop. But for some reason, yeah, in this shot, the whole street behind them is, like, bright acid green. And just kind of adds another sort of element of, like, sinisterness to it. Absolutely. This is Yeah, so the car pulls away here. Now, again, we have another actor discovery. This might be the best one yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I just want to—I want to point out. I actually looked for this actor in the. I was fascinated to find out if the doorman was anyone, and I couldn't for whatever reason. I—I I, I couldn't see it when I was scrolling through the list. It is there, Parker. Before we started recording, uh, he mentioned that there was this crazy discovery he made, and I kind of had another li- little look, and I did find this guy. But I got I to gotta hand it to you. You discovered this, so you take this one away, Parker. It's, it's totally just from looking at IMDb, because I'm not sure I've ever even noticed the doorman uh, in either shot before. You only He's in the background of, of the shot with the cops. Oh, I definitely, yeah. And you can only really see him because he's got this bright green, like, full-length coat and hat. And then in the wide shot, when the car peels away from the Club Ritz... And he's stand he's standing there like he's kind of moving around as if he's just as as if there's been a tussle and he's just kind of shaken by it like he knows that something's gone down. Mm-hmm. I almost wonder was there a scene cut there where we see him kind of go, "Hey, stop that, you guys!" Yeah, exactly. Because um, it's like he knows what's up. And so, to be fair, it's possible he pops up later in the film at the many other club red scenes, and I'm not remembering that, and we'll get to him later. You only get a wide shot of him here, but you can see from a distance that it's a clean-shaven Mike Haggerty, a.k.a. the great Mr. Trigger from Friends, the building super from Friends. Amazing. That, to me, is mind-blowing. Absolutely. Because uh, I love that guy. He was always, he, he was underused on Friends. He was he was in maybe five or six episodes over the whole series. Yeah, de- definitely skewing earlier in the series. I, I, tr- I don't feel like he was in it in the kind of later era of Friends. I feel like he was more... Yeah. I, I'm pretty the, sure the his first... last appearance is the one where he's got to break down the door for Monica and Chandler's apartment, like right when they get married. So it's like right in the middle of the series. I don't know if you maybe see him once after that, but I don't know. I always loved Mr. Trigger. He's just such, such like a cuddly appealing uh, actor and character. Yeah. So he's the, and he's still, he's still doing, he's Captain McGinley on uh, Brooklyn nine, nine now, which is pretty cool. Um, That's nice. But like great career is just like, yeah, like comedy bit parts and stuff. He's one of the donut shop guys in uh, Wayne's world. And he's in, so I married an ax murderer. Uh, he was... He's got a couple of a couple of nice Star Trek credits yeah. to his name as well. Um, and uh, and <laughs> uh, Arliss, the HBO oh, show wow. with uh, with Robert Wool, our beloved Robert Wool from Batman, our cl- close personal friend Robert Wool. He <laughs> sent Parker a birthday message this year. He did, ladies and gentlemen. Well worth it. If you can find Robert Wool on Cameo, I recommend it. That was <laughs> that was a wonderful, uh, very elaborate message from him. Great sport. So yeah, and he was all yeah he was the, he was Rudy the raincoat guy in Seinfeld. Uh, like there's this great Seinfeld episode where Kramer and Jerry's dad go into business trying to sell old beltless trench coats. 
uh, to to his character, and they're all filled with moths and ruin all his inventory. <laughs> and uh, so there, yeah, there's that. There's uh, and he was in an episode of I don't know. Do you know about the Michael Richards show? No, it does ring a bell. After Seinfeld, Michael Richards got he was the star of his own sitcom called The Michael Richards Show, and it was like a slapstick comedy thing where he was like a private detective, and like it was it got panned and canceled really fast. I remember my family and I, like, we watched the first episode, um, and, like, it was pretty funny, and it's Michael Richards doing the slapstick thing. It just it didn't work quite as well with Richards being the main character instead of, like, the foil. Sure, yeah. So. Did it not work because Michael Richards is a huge racist? Or... Oh, no. <laughs> that uh, that hadn't come up yet. Um, oh. <laughs> in fact, I remember. Next time, baby. Tim Meadows being a character on the show. So Michael Richards had oh, wow. his uh, his one black friend. Anyway. I'm not a racist. I was on a show with Tim Meadows for 12 episodes. <laughs> uh, that's Yikes. That's just showbiz. Um, but uh, so Michael Haggerty was also, he's got a one great no small parts line in uh, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, do you remember yes. his moment in that? <laughs> I, it, is, it, is it during one of the, the kind of, well, that's funny that, that it's me bringing this up. Hey. But um, one of the, the, the sort of dick sight gags in the in those yeah. movies. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and he's playing the peanut vendor. He's like, peanuts, get your nuts. Get your nuts Hot here. salty nuts. <laughs> That's him. Um, great line, great delivery. Fantastic. Um, he was in uh, the Inspector Gadget Matthew Broderick movie. That's one of the few movies that I loved as a child that um, is just garbage as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Most things I yeah. really liked as a child. I still have a lot of fondness for as an adult, even if they're not great, like uh, like Super Mario Bros. or something. But boy, that Inspector Gadget movie is rough. It's not so good. I I, I will say that I'm glad it exists. If the, if that of makes course. sense, like I'm glad yeah. that they made the attempt. To, and I I think there are some fun little gadget sequences in that movie. It just doesn't yeah. hang together as a movie at all. It's probably the, the the most charitable thing you can say. Oh, also Rupert Everett is great in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, but Jesus Christ, one of the best examples of a cool, like, mysterious comic book Doctor Doom cartoon type villain being turned into a guy in a suit. Yeah. That's my, maybe the yeah. example. Big time. And the uh, the only other thing that jumped out at me, like, in Michael Haggerty's long, great career is he's in a little film called Brewster's Millions. <laughs> oh, Brewster's Millions. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 for for anyone for anyone listening, Brewster's Millions is a film that neither Parker nor I have seen, but we kind of associate it with just sort of, you know, being in the video shop as a kid, like wondering <laughs> about a movie and seeing a video cover and going, "Oh, this is this is a movie. I wonder what it is." <laughs> John Candy and Richard Pryor <laughs> and a big pile of money. I'm like, yeah, it's the cover is basically Richard Pryor like escaping from a pile of money, like holding wads of cash, like looking at the camera, panicked, like, "What am I gonna do with all this money? <laughs> what am I gonna do with all this money?" <laughs> really, got to get around to seeing Brewster's. You know what? I'm pretty sure yeah, it was on a TV in a bar that I was in. Amazing. Uh, at some point <laughs> last year, and and there was just a few scenes, and like Pat Hingle pops up in it, unless it was a different Richard Pryor movie, like The Toy or something. But really, got to get around to that one. Okay, can I br- can I bring up one last uh, Mike Haggerty role that that I just want to mention very quickly? Make it a million. <laughs> uh, he he is in a show called Clubhouse as Stan Batman McCann. Oof, beautiful. So for anyone who who doesn't know, uh, Clubhouse is a baseball drama that ran for like eight minutes. 
in the early 2000s and it starred none other than TV Superman Dean Cain. So Oof. I find it interesting that Michael Haggerty played a character whose nickname was Batman. So that's fun. I love that Kane. That's amazing. That's the only Dean Kane versus Batman, I guess, uh, we may ever have. True enough. The hope yeah. springs eternal. Michael Haggerty gets his distant shot as the uh, the car peels away from the Club Ritz. You get a good look at the Club Ritz sign here. I didn't really notice uh, when we saw it before. Did you notice it? Like I, I did notice the sign, and I wanted to point this out last week. I never got a... Or was it... No, not last week, the week before. Whatever the first week was where we see the map painting, and then it pans over and you see the entrance of the Club Ritz. It's actually a very unassuming looking entrance outside. Mm. Like this... There's not a huge amount to it. There's a fun little neon sign, and then it's just kind of a red padded door. And like it is a very sort of unassuming facade of a of a building. Don't want to call too much attention to it. What what I did notice, and I don't know if this was intentional or if it's like I don't even know. Would you call it a goof, or is it just an oversight, or what is it? But immediately next door to the club Ritz is just this big wooden gate. It almost looks hmm. like. It it wasn't uh, it wasn't intended to be part of the set, and it's. Just I think kind that's of a... the garage, though. I think they're bursting out of that gate at some point in this film. Like they Maybe, need the big actually, quick yeah. exit for raids or something. But yeah, I'm not sure. But I, it strikes me that the club, the lettering on the Club Ritz sign, it's not like the kind of Art Deco Broadway style font that uh, you'd expect it to be. That a lot of stuff in the film is. It's it's just this mm. like really minimalistic. It almost looks like the Mass Effect font, but in like neon tube shapes. Uh, like it's just like it's just this really simple, like minimalist kind of futuristic looking sign that I guess was starting to become popular at that time for trendy stuff. The car takes off. We get a look at a cop watching from from his car. Did you uh, did you did you pick up on who this actor was? Uh, I didn't at the time, and actually, I when I looked him up, I I don't think I recognized anything that he's been in. This is this is Lou Horn. Lou Horn, ladies and gentlemen. As Lefty Moriarty. Lefty Moriarty. I, I, I would like to say, first of all, I've, I've written down uh, I follow acting. He does some great I follow acting in this scene. You see him mm. uh, in his car. His eyes go from right to left as he follows the trajectory of the, of the enemy car driving away. And then he looks away and then, and then he has a sudden realization and looks back and, and his car takes off. It's, it's a nice little, just nice, sweet little acting moment. Just memorable enough to, to be noteworthy. Um, but the reason I've I've highlighted Lou Horn, he plays a character in an episode of Saved by the Bell. Ah. Ladies and gentlemen, you might you might remember I've uh, co-hosted a 100 episodes of a Saved by the <laughs> Bell podcast, uh, Enslaved by the Bell. So these actors tend to stand out a bit to me. He played a character called Mister Moody in a uh, Christmas episode. I, I'm trying to think, was it a Christmas two-parter? There's a there's a Christmas episode where Zach befriends a homeless uh, girl. Uh, and, and of course, she's a beautiful girl. He tries to date her, uh, finds out that she's homeless. Her father is homeless because the weapons factory or something went out of business because World <laughs> Peace broke out. No, that's not right. it. Kelly Kapowski's dad lost her job because World Peace broke out. I can't remember why this guy got... He lost his job in the computer chip factory or something. It was so... <laughs> Bill Gates bottom out, boys. Yeah. It's such a say by the bell reason to lose your job, but like there's scenes where you see this poor man like um, shaving himself in the in the mall bathroom and all this, and there's a whole back and forth. And Mister Moody is the guy who open who owns the local boutique, and this girl uh, gets a job in the boutique, and she's 
really wants to buy her dad this nice sports jacket for Christmas. And then at some stage, the sports jacket gets stolen and he accuses her of having stolen it and all this Uh-oh. all this stuff happens. And then at the end, Mr. Moody has a change of heart and like gifts the sports jacket to Mr. Man, Mr. Dad. And then at the end of the episode, Zach Morris invites them to live in, in his house. <laughs> and Zach Morris, Zach Morris's mom is just like, yeah, sure, you know, my husband won't mind. It's so, it's so incredibly stupid. He's but never great. home anyway. But what I did, what I found especially interesting about Mr. Moody and I did not know this I, I keep in mind I've only co-hosted 100 episodes of Enslaved by the Bell <laughs> uh, we, ne- we we never got around to Saved by the Bell the new class where apparently Mr. Moody comes back oh okay that's pretty cool I, I did see the new class credit there but I just assumed he was he was just some anonymous random teacher from the wasteland of the uh, the seven seasons of the new class that nobody remembers. Apparently, like, they, they not only, they, they bring back Mr. Moody, they also bring back, um, there's another character called James, who's like this kind of zany actor friend that the kids use to to, to pull off scams. Like, they get him to pose as Mr. Belding when Zach's dad <laughs> visits the parent-teacher conference and, and vice versa. And they do a couple of things like that and he comes, he's in a couple of episodes. But then he comes back in the new class apparently as well. So, I don't know. Welcome to Saved by the Bell Minute. I love the idea that Zach's dad doesn't know what Mr. Belding looks like. Yeah. He's too busy selling computers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go on. I, I've also written down, just because just cause we're we're in this exact scene here, multiple sources of light. Did you have anything else to say about Lou Horn? Um, about Lou Horn, yeah, in terms of, there were a couple of credits. Um, he played a character named Bill on a show called Friends from 1979. Oh. Speaking of Friends. Oh, do you wow. think Netflix would pay $100 million for uh, Friends from 1979? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's only one way to find out. I, I, I don't know what that way is. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix is just writing checks that can't cash these days. Anyway, sure, throw it on there. Throw it on there with uh, yeah. some of the other big ones. But yeah, so uh, also just, oh, wait, another great credit. He was a game show host in something called If You Don't Stop It, You'll Go Blind. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't know what kind of game show that was, but. Uh... Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, nice, uh, nice storied career. Let's just say Lefty Moriarty didn't make an appearance on that show. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's something I'd like, I'd love to address. Lefty Moriarty is a character, that's a name that I've heard a ton of times, like, in the context of this film, anytime you watch the film, anytime that, like, I guess they do say his name out loud later. Lefty Moriarty, I've never remembered who that character is when I'm not watching the film. Obviously, the reason for that is it sounds like, like an all-time gangster name. Like, yeah, Lefty Moriarty and the Left Street Boys or something, you know? Yeah. It's so weird that Lefty Moriarty is just a random beat cop in this film and not the head of of some kind of olive oil smuggling ring down at the wharf or something like that. Absolutely. So, yeah. Very, very odd. Um, I, I'm just sorry, sorry, I, I went silent there. I, I looked up Lefty Moriarty to find out if he was a, a, a character from the Dick Tracy comic strip. Oh, yeah, I was wondering that too. He does not appear to be. He is unique to this film. In the notes, though, in the trivia notes, uh, we have Lefty was presumably a nickname. <laughs> Moriarty is an Irish surname that originally meant a title of Master Navigator, which I never knew. Hmm. And uh, Moriarty is well known in the annals of crime fiction as the surname of Sherlock Holmes' archenemy, Professor Moriarty. Never heard I, of it. I often wonder who writes these, like, just completely pointless trivia that doesn't really connect to anything. It's like... I, 
as as we know from our uh, <laughs> idols on the We Hate Movies podcast, the IMDb Tribune has really gone downhill and become something of a rag over the years from the, the heights of its... It used to be just such a wealth of great trivia, and there is lots of great trivia in there too, but like 30% of every trivia page now is just, oh, My- Michael Keaton and Christopher Reeve uh, both played superheroes in a different film, and like... Things like that. And, <laughs> and neither of them are in this film. <laughs> they, they, they have that in the trivia of a film starring Robert Wool. Could you... <laughs> oh, God. I'd find that. I'd vote that up. Um, could you imagine being so obsessed with minutia and meager connections between obscure character actors to put any time into that sort of endeavor? Oh, absolutely not. Of course not. Pathetic. Pathetic. So uh, so anyway, the great Lou Horn has left him here and he does a double take. He see he sees these fake car uh, these fake cops drive by in this regular car with mobsters squeezed in the back, and it's like yeah, that's business as you what uh-huh. <laughs> throws the car into gear to follow them, and um, that's the criminal side of this minute. Now we cut back to great uh, to Dick Tracy and Tess Trueheart still walking down the same street to the diner. Very much so. They're they're walking down the street and Tess is talking about how great Tracy would be as the chief of police. And even Chief Brandon says you'd make a great chief of police. <laughs> you could do my job. Tracy just keeps, he, he just keeps interjecting with desk job, desk job. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she, she says something about, oh, you know, why not? Why not take a desk job or something? He's like, oh, no, no one's going to put big boy Caprice behind bars sitting behind a desk. Oh, it's great. Nobody's going to put big boy Caprice behind bars sitting behind a desk. And then she comes back with, you know, Tracy, you said you were going to take a day off tomorrow. Hmm. Oh, no, no, sorry. I'm skipping over one. Oh, yeah. One other line she says. She says, you know, maybe if you were sitting behind a desk, you could have a wife. I mean, a life. Hey! So good. It, I, I I don't know. <laughs> Not a fan. No, I I loved I love Glenn Headley's delivery of that line. It's so sincere. I love Glenn Headley in this movie. I feel like that line is not representative of what her character is like throughout the movie. Like, there's a little bit more mm. to her than just the the, the put upon girlfriend who wants to get married. But in the in that line, it's kind of you know she's just Silver Age Lois Lane. Why won't you marry me, Dick Tracy? <laughs> Well, what I like about it is that I think she catches herself because that she doesn't want to be that person, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. her delivery there. She that's that's why I like it because it's like you could have a wife and she's genuinely cr- she cringes yeah. and says, "I mean a life," and it's like, "Yeah, I'm I'm not saying you have to marry me right yeah. away. I'm just saying like I love you and we could have like you know this nice balance." So yeah, that that's why I like, like it's it's a, kind of a subversion to me of being the the Jane Mancini kind of <laughs> <laughs> nagging to quit the hospital and yeah. yeah there there is a bit of nuance to it that's fair and I, I do like how stern uh warren Beatty is being you know he's just so adamant he's so kind of black or white like there, there's only one way to catch bit boy and it's it's on the street yeah pounding the pavement um i, I did a couple of things I, I really like how they've greased up the street if that's the phrase i don't know there, there's like puddles around oh, like yeah. it looks like it's been raining i i've i've made a note here new york street so are you familiar with the, the back lot that they used for this film, Parker? Uh, I don't know specifically which one, unless it's just like the big classic universal back, or uh, like the, the back lot that's used for everything from Lois and Clark to Spider-Man to Friends. But... You're thinking of the Warner Brothers back lot, which uh... is interesting because I got back to that. Um, they, this was filmed in Disney MGM Studios in, uh, in, Disney, in Disneyland or Disney World in Anaheim in California. California is Disneyland. Yes. 
So, so they opened up an attraction called New York Street. It was later called Hollywood Street, I think. I might be terribly, terribly wrong about this. <laughs> and um, basically, the, the idea behind this was... Flew all the way from New York <laughs> just to see a New York Street. The, the, the idea was that it would be a working Hollywood set that you could visit as part of your trip to Disneyland. Oh, cool. And um, like a, a bunch of stuff filmed there... Famed legendary productions such as Ernest Saves Christmas, <laughs> Splash Splash Two T O O Splash Two, which I did not know existed. I there was a Splash. I yet. never knew there was. I don't one. Know if Tom Hanks is in that one. <laughs> I bet Daryl Hannah was. Jim Hanks is in that. Jim yeah. Hanks. Yeah, there you go. I, that's unfair to Daryl Hannah. She's a great actress. I'm sure she wasn't in it either. Maybe she was though. Oh yeah. Um, and Quick Change was another movie they filmed there. But uh, and and I've actually I've I've highlighted this part. One of the most famous films produced on New York Street specifically was Dick Tracy, starring such celebrities as Warren Beatty, Al Pacino, Madonna, Dick Van Dyke, and Dustin Hoffman. After the film's production, sounds like a hell of a picture. Yeah, after the film's production, Dick Tracy became one of the many selling points of the studio backlot tour, as guests could see clips from the movie and easily relay the images to the area they just visited. So this was like a working movie set that Very you could cool. also go and visit afterwards, which I thought was was really really cool um you mentioned Lois and Clark. that sounds a bit what uh what living in toronto's like <laughs> anytime you turn a corner it's some random shot from uh from a 2010s movie <laughs> these days yeah and like it it does make you think that like the, the way they just use backlots for everything in the 80s and 90s now they just use like they very much do just use toronto and vancouver for everything now <laughs> Because it's so much cheaper. But you mentioned you mentioned um, Lois and Clark there, which was predominantly filmed on the WB backlot, which is where they've done stuff like the Gilmore Girls and all that kind of stuff. Interestingly enough, in the time travel episode of Lois and Clark that I think I mentioned last week because our old friend Robert Costanza was in it, they do actually visit <laughs> the Disney lot for the scenes uh-huh. where they go back to 1966 Smallville. If I'm not terribly mistaken, I think they do visit this exact lot in that episode as well. So that's kind of fun. Very cool. Um, so there you go. So yeah, there's actually yeah, like the the line about uh, Big Boy Caprice. To me, this is one of the best, like most hard boiled lines and line deliveries in the film. We were talking the other episodes about you know the like lips. It's a raid. It's the cops and like how what a great genre kind of line that is. And right here, like Beatty's staring straight forward. He's got the steely eyed determination. Yeah. And it's, nobody's going to put big boy Caprice behind bars sitting behind a desk. And it's great. That's his thesis for the whole film at this point. Yeah, and it's 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 real kind of like show... Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the best example, but like show, don't tell. Like <laughs> we're, we're hearing this natural dialogue between characters about why this guy is so dangerous and why we need to put him behind bars. And, you know, you, you're kind of drawn into the story in a in a in a really economic efficient way where it's like okay this guy's the bad guy we're all like you know we we feel big boy's presence even though we haven't felt him yet or pfft, even though we haven't seen him yet <laughs> and we're only we're we're like we're not even 8 minutes into the movie and it's just it's laying all the groundwork out so quickly and so efficiently but it never feels forced or like you're being given exposition or anything like it's you know it's one of those things again that you only really notice when you're kind of breaking this movie down excellent point piece by piece like we're doing yeah, it's it's also like a thing like symptomatic of having seen it a hundred times and being really familiar with Big Boy. I hadn't really thought before about that till you mentioned it about how they're yeah they're talking about Big Boy a lot in these organic foreboding ways long before we ever actually meet him, and it makes when we meet him in I believe the next minute or the minute after 
uh like that much heavier because you don't know what to expect and yeah actually have have you always thought the D- dick tracy's coat looks less yellow here like the lighting in this scene interesting has always looked kind of washed out i'm sure it's the same coat but it's like you could almost mistake his coat and hat for a regular kind of beige trench coat ensemble just because i think the the colors of the light the sort of pinks and blues as they approach the diner really saps some of the the vivid yellow away and uh it just kind of got a different flavor to it interesting i'm looking at it now i can definitely see what you mean and i think the reason i never noticed that before was because my eyes as a child were always drawn to the big neon letters that spelled out the word drugs <laughs> because um, they, they they pass a drugstore. Yeah. And like, you, I don't know if you know this about it. We don't call them drugstores here in Ireland. We call them pharmacies. So when I see... Oh, I thought you were going to say the, the chemist. Or, yeah. or the chemist. We also call them the chemist. But <laughs> when I see drugs as a nine-year-old child, I'm, I'm thinking, I was like, could you just buy cocaine in a shop back then like were they just legal like i mean i suppose you know <laughs> no just good old-fashioned booze just, yeah i suppose i mean bef- like maybe 20 or 30 years before that that they ironically were illegal but you know i just always found that interesting and i, th- I feel like i had to ask my mother mm-hmm. why there was a shop that just sold drugs and she explained to me that it was a, a pharmacy so yeah, like it's their pharmacies here in Toronto as well. My parents' generation always would call them drugstores as well. I think there's a few signs in my neighborhood growing up that said drugstore or something like that. Nothing with just a big neon drugs. Drugs. But there's a there's a legendary kind of 1980s or 90s Canadian uh, P- PSA where it's a bunch of cops and children singing a song that goes. Drugs, 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 which are good, which are bad. And the whole notion of the, of the ad is kids get confused when adults are talking about drugs as in medication or drugs as in what you buy behind the 7-Eleven. And it's, it's such a bizarre ad because it really doesn't clear anything <laughs> up. They talk about... They're talking about taking cough medicine from a doctor in one scene and then or in one l- lyric. And then the, the next verse is... Uh, there's lots of other drugs that sure have a pop. Watch it, man. It's trouble with the law. <laughs> it's like, there's just some vague talk about trouble with the law, but they're all singing and dancing with the cops the next minute. So how bad could it be? I, I, I notice as well, um, you know, just going back to drugs, uh, if you if you, if you look in the window of that uh, of that store, they, they, they've just got these white bottles that are just completely blank. There's nothing kind of written on them there's no logos there's no other colors there's just completely white bottles sitting on shelves that look like they're kind of a, a sheer blue uh covering over them or something and it, it almost looks like mm. they're supposed to look like a crude drawing of what would be in the window in a comics panel ah, which is really cool interesting and then and then very and cool. then in the did not notice in that. the exact same shot then you'll also see the diner has the words diner in big kind of neon letters as well i, d- I don't think i've ever sort of made that um association it's just another fun little visual thing yeah that's interesting. I, and a prop that somebody spent a lot of time on yeah yeah and uh, you know I, I like my main experience watching this movie as a kid was uh, on a battered vhs that i'd taped off the tv it still has the ads on it i still have it to this day i wonder how many of those things i just missed out on because i was watching it on such a thing you know but um i i wrote down multiple sources of light if you look at this shot where you can see the big drugs uh thing and you can see everything else on the street 
that like if you count the different light sources there's so many different ones and they're all different colors oh yeah there's like one two three four i feel like there's at least five there big street lamp in the foreground it's almost i feel like the shot the scene might have been shot during the day and then made to look like night it's hard to tell possibly yeah uh, and that could be why the yeah. that could be why the coat kind of looks off to you because because they had to put a weird color grade over it to to make it look darker than it is. I, I I will alert your eyes to the yellow sedan in the shot as well. Mm-hmm. I have a small note on this, and I I have to cite uh, our old friends at www.imdb.com for this. Um, apparently, according to them, the only anachronism in the film question mark is a 1940s yellow Hudson car. Ah. Now, I'm not sure if this is a Hudson, but just the fact that it's yellow makes me think that it might be. So maybe maybe this is the one. I mean, it certainly doesn't look out of place. It's a really old-timey looking automobile. But technically, if this is 1939, yeah. maybe. There's also, I've never noticed before, in front of the drugstore, there's this kind of like scale looking prop. It almost looks like a parking meter, but it's like, yeah. do you see what I mean? Like it's, it's I don't know what that would be for, maybe just like weighing deliveries or for people <laughs> to stand on outside and, and try to guess their weight and then see if they need any any nostrums from the drugstore or something like that. Who knows? I, I mean, they, they yeah. did have parking meters back then, didn't they? Like they're not... Yeah, but I mean, they're on the street. They wouldn't just be on the curb, like or like yeah. right up against a brick wall. Like, and there's only one of them, and I don't know. It's, Actually, may- maybe we'll have to find out. Maybe it's a weighing scale because I know they like obviously they have those in uh, in pharmacy. Yeah, so. so maybe yeah, it's one of those coin operated weighing scales. Probably that's what I'm gonna <laughs> put in a coin. Weigh yourself. <laughs> that's how people got their kicks back uh, then. Yeah, um, it's either that or a Nickelodeon. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, so so it's Tracy. You said you were going to take the day off tomorrow, hmm? and he goes, hmm. and that's where our minute ends. Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, once again, it's it's an action packed minute. A lot happening, a lot of new faces. Good God, lot lot of lot of information. Like it's there were so many, so much stuff packed into it with the different actors. This once again, we've we've glossed over William Forsyth as Flattop, who's had a couple appearances now. We will definitely. Uh, be covering him in future episodes when we really get to know Flattop. We're looking forward to that. In the meantime, it's it's on to what could jump out at us from this minute for the Dick Tracy Minute Highlights. And now, boys and girls, the zip-zapping, super-delicious taste of crackly flakes presents the Dick Tracy Minute Highlights. Uh, do you have a highlight off the top of your head today, Rob, or well, perhaps written down? I like I, I don't want to take this away from you because you know it was your discovery. I I, I will say <laughs> like before I ever even knew that it was Mike Haggerty, I the doorman did stand out to me as just this sort of just extra flavor to the scene. It's like he just he's standing there looking shocked and confused, and like we see a lot of acting, even though it's this really really wide shot and you're not really seeing the guy and. You can't really make out his face. Like you, you can clearly see that he's disturbed by something. So I did like that. If I was to pick a number two, it would definitely be Lou Horn and his uh, eye-following acting, which I just really appreciated. Yeah, no, terrific. Yeah, that double take is is really great, and I feel like it's a good kind of just throwback to that, to like you know this this whole genre and stuff. Cops doing double takes and stuff when they realize, oh, like that's that's some kind of cover for the mob, and yeah, really good. Um. For me, it would be like, I mean, yeah, obviously you got some great discoveries with the actors and stuff. And, and Marshall Bell earlier, that's mind-blowing because you get such a good look at him with the makeup. 
and uh and I never knew it was it was him so that's pretty cool that he's in this film kind of in disguise but my actual favorite is is still um the delivery of the you, you could have a wife I mean a life <laughs> uh just cuz it's her cringe her self cringe is so great she's really trying hard uh love the, not not just cuz uh, we were arguing about it and I'm getting entrenched in that <laughs> that is one of my favorite lines that parapraxis or freudian slip as it is informally called mm. of uh saying wife instead of life so love that and uh yeah another great minute off to off to it and and we're ending in mid in the middle of a question that is to be answered in the next minute but I'm pretty sure, yeah. The next, do they do they make it into the diner, or does something happen right away? Yeah, I, I think they they open the door and they saunter into the diner. They order a big bowl of chili and they just they just sit down and they shoot the shit. And you know, it's just a nice peaceful movie. Nothing nothing interesting happens. Yeah, they're just yeah. yeah. Dick Tracy walks in, and uh, I think if I recall correctly, he agrees to leave the force right away. Yes. Right here and take a desk job and say, now that I'm sitting at a Formica counter, it's basically the same thing. I, I, you know, like there, there, there's this really kind of labored shot where he takes his badge out. He looks at it for a moment. He goes, <laughs> and then he goes, <laughs> he, he throws it at Mike and he goes, set him up, Mike. And Mike just sets up two chocolate milkshakes in front of them. <laughs> End scene. It's a, it's a beautiful, like directed by Warren Beatty. <laughs> The last shot in the film of the badge sitting on top of a pile of beans in the chili pot (laughs) and then slowly sinking into the chili, bubbling back up for one second where the text on it. (laughs) And the badge now says the end as it sinks back down below the beans. Uh, and that would make for a short podcast indeed, but we don't take the short road here. There are hundreds of minutes more to come from the much more action-packed version of Dick Tracy, Test True Heart, and Flat Top's lives to come, and we will get there soon. In the meantime, follow us on Facebook. Join the Dick Tracy Minute Bullpen group on Facebook, where we discuss the podcast and uh, people submit uh, all their own insights, which has been a lot of fun, and uh, Dick Tracy Minute on Instagram. Very nice. And please get in touch. If, you, if you're a fan of the podcast, if you're a fan of Dick Tracy, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to find out what your experiences with the film are. If you have any nuggets of information that may have passed us by thus far, we would love to hear from you. There is lots of interesting trivia about this movie. Um, and, it, it, you know, it is a little bit harder to kind of track down sometimes. So uh, we, we'd love to hear um, anything you have to, to share with us. You just might get your letter read on the air. If it's good, not if it stinks. All right, signing off for this week. See you later. I, I, I don't have a, I, I need a sign off. I need to come up with something. Yeah, same. I always something. forget. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs>